Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to Wheat Among the Tears, our live program here every Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock Eastern Time from the studios of Gethsemane Baptist Church and Gethsemane Global Radio here in Lexington, South Carolina. It's a pleasure to have everybody aboard this morning. Pastor Steve Williamson, good to have you with us. Yes, sir. Good morning to you, my brother, as well as all you listening today. Thank you for being part of the broadcast. We have missed you the last couple of weeks. Been busy. I know you have. (laughs) Running the country. (laughs) I know you have, but uh, good to have you back in the studio with us this morning. Yes, sir. And um, I want to go straight to our guest this morning because, Pastor, this is probably one of the most important episodes that we have done in quite a while and i'm not negating the rest of them for sure but this one has such heavy connotations with regard to the spiritual aspects of our country and uh and it's the it's it's on the uh the warfare and i'm going to use that word the warfare of abortion and the killing of innocent children I, i don't even Honestly, Pastor, I don't even want to use that word because really, brother, it is it, it is, this yeah. the murder of children. Yeah, this is what issue it is. that we're going to deal with, I mean, it affects us personally and, and dramatically here in our state if we don't do something about it. Absolutely. And uh, so with that in mind, I, I want to introduce our guest this morning. He is uh, uh, the Director of Development for the Palmetto Family Council. His name is Mitch Prosser. Brother Mitch, welcome to Wheat Among the Tares this morning. Hey, good morning, gentlemen, and thank you so much for having me on today. Mitch, it is a blessing to have you aboard yes, here good this morning. Amen. This has been uh, quite a um, a summer with regard yes, to this whole issue of uh, the Roe v. Wade situation and whatnot. And uh, and by the, I'm going to go ahead and caveat my comments right now before we go any further. If you're listening to this program, it may be that you think, well, everything that we're going to talk about here is strictly, say, uh, local or within the state of South Carolina with regard to its impact. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's right. And I want to make everybody understand, and I don't care where you're listening from this morning, and we have listeners from all across this country that tune in and listen here to this program and uh, from a lot of different states and other countries that hear this podcast. Yes, sir. So this is not, Pastor, this is not a, 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 a issue that affects just the United States. I mean, I know for a fact, and I'm reading stuff from England and the Great Britain and, and, the, and what's going on there and other countries around the world, and they're, doing, they're having the same identical issues. Yes, sir. And, Brother, I think from the standpoint, and Brother Mitch, I know we're going to bring this out, but what happens here in South Carolina, uh, I mean, we started uh, the Civil War with the first shot 
You know, I mean, South Carolina has always been on the forefront, usually of something <laughs> yeah, sure. on the bad side. And uh, but we we need to be a leader here when it comes to do things that are righteous and doing right. And um, so, with that in mind, I want to first of all read uh, just when we're dealing with this whole subject of the murder of innocent children. Uh, Proverbs chapter thirty-one, verse eight. The Bible says this: "Open thy mouth." For the dumb and the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Now, maybe a little bit of a spiritual application, but it's Pastor, a great application. Uh, you know, I mean, they can't speak. They cannot speak for themselves, and uh, and brother, this the whole thing behind the murder of innocent children. And I'm going to say that throughout this program. And if people get uneasy with it, they get uneasy yeah. with it. Uh, but it's just something needs to be spoken. And it's it's time that we got off uh, of riding the fence and decided we're going to do what is right. Pastor, first of all, um, many, many people link uh, what is going on in the political realm. And they try in their mind, they link it separately from the spiritual aspect of things that are going on in, in, in Christianity and the world. And they try to... Try to separate that. Sure. Um, where Where is the disconnect with regard to where people are thinking like that? Well, for way too long, you had a bad ideology, philosophy of certain Christian churches and believers that believed that Bible preaching and the church should be absolutely separate from any political issue that is going on in the political realm, that there should be a defining line where the church really should not be involved in the political realm. People really, and to the point that they, they a lot of them wouldn't even vote. There's no point, you know, it's not up to us to vote. That's the political thing. That's the world. Let's stay out of it. But then, you know, you leave the world to, to govern how you're to live and the world to govern and, and legislate morality and immorality and then start screaming and crying about what we're living under, it's because the church and Christians way too long stay disconnected. And I'm glad there in these last days is a great awakening among preachers and Christians of their God-given responsibility and duty to be engaged um, in the political realm, that the church, the church must be engaged. And I'm glad that we see a rising up of that. We try to cause our people to be engaged. We did, um, you know, the last, uh, before the last election, that when, when Trump, President Trump was elected, we did a voter registration drive here in our church. Yes. And I would have probably told you we'd have had on one hand four or five people that wasn't registered to vote. We registered over 60 of our people. Yeah. And so, and that's a common story among churches. So helping our people to be engaged and um, the Christian needs to see their responsibility to see to it that our country is governed righteously. Amen. Mitch, you're certainly uh, in and around the state of South Carolina and probably other areas as well. And you deal with pastors on a regular basis. Um, what are you seeing are you seeing some of the similar things that our pastor has described? Um, what I'll say is this. Um, fear is a liar, and also Satan is a liar. And so when we believe self-doubt and when we believe Satan, often we conflate two different ideas that political issues 
are not religious, spiritual, moral, moral faith issues. And nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, the lie sure. that so many pastors and church people have believed is that the two are mutually exclusive from one another. And the truth, the reality is that abortion is not a political football to be handled Amen. and batted back and forth between R's and D's and conservatives and liberals. It is a, it is a, it is, it is a faith issue, a religious issue that must be addressed not just by politicians, but by the pulpit and pastors and men and women of courage, conviction, and faith. Absolutely. Amen. And, you know, and, and, and if, if folks are listening to this, and by the way, um, just just that one statement or the statements between Pastor, what you just said, and, and, and Brother Mitch, um, if you are in a church that maybe tends to lean toward um, you know, well, let's just not get involved in the political realm uh, because it's it's involved with money and, and, and it's too much temptation there and all that. Let me tell you, it, it is time, as you said, Pastor, it's time for men uh, to stand and rise up because of the fact that, as you said, we cannot complain if we don't get involved. And, and Brother Mitch was uh, very thorough in what he just said, that in our day, these immoral evils have been put into a political realm issue. Okay, government really should not be governing and legislating morality and righteousness, okay? So when that has happened, what happens is there's a, there's a flip that goes on in people's mind. Those are political issues. Those are biblical issues. They are. Not political issues. So there was a statistic done. I've got it written down. Um, uh, I didn't bring it with me, but I was looking at it just the other day. My interest was in it again. They did an interview of church going, not just independent Baptist, because I think it'd be different if, if this was just independent Baptist or Baptist in general, Bible believers, but Christian churches in a whole, they did an interview with Christians, and they found that 70 to 80% of Christians sitting in churches said that they believe that their pastor should deal with these issues, that they look to him for guidance for those is, these issues on same-sex marriage, on abortion, on, on many of these issues. Sure. Um, but when they interviewed the pastors of all these different denominations, less than 10. Now, over 80% of the pastors said, we believe that the Bible deals with these issues. But less than 10% of them said they were willing to deal with the issues from their pulpit. That is the problem that is very telling and brother mitch that's exactly what you described is uh is the issue that is going on is because of the fact that men don't want to address it because they uh, throw it into again a political realm i don't want to beat a dead horse there but that is again that's sure. the crux of what is going on and uh, for those of you who are listening please um if you would, if you're in a situation like that, then kindly approach your pastor and say, hey, you know, we believe honestly that these are some issues that need to be dealt with. Pastor, help us with understanding. And that may, as the Bible said, yeah. provoke him to good works, you know, yeah. just to see and encourage him concerning that. God knows it, it is needed in this day for sure. 
We understand, number two here, that pastors have the primary mandate of preaching the entire counsel of the Word of God. No doubt about that. What is the line with regard to involvement as to legislative matters on a local, state, and or national level? How much, Pastor Williamson, first of all, should we get involved with this? Because, again, I know you're tasked with the responsibility of preaching the whole counsel of God. Sure. But how much should we, and kind of a loose guideline if, if you've got something in mind there. Well, I'm, and I'm going to let Brother Mitch, because this would be really good for him to speak on yeah. this this question, because uh, he's he's very knowledgeable. He will give us some good stuff on yeah. this. But we, we should be absolutely engaged knowing what is going on where we are living locally and where what is going on nationally, what is what bills are being passed, what legislation is going on, you know, what is, and thank God for Palmetto family council, because they are helping us stay engaged to know what is happening, what, what, what's going on in the house, what's going on in the Senate, what's going home behind closed doors that we have no idea that right. takes place and gets voted on. We had no idea. And then all of a sudden now these things are governing us and we never had a voice in it because we were not, not aware of it. We must be, at, if we, if we are going to lead a godly and peaceable life with all godliness and honesty. Yes not only through prayer, but then put in action to our prayers to be engaged politically. And so I want, I want Brother Mitch to speak on that. Brother Mitch, if you would. Absolutely. I, I, I would take you back to 1801. There's this guy named John Adams. He's, he's going to be the president in just a couple of years, but he looks at the Massachusetts militia in Quincy, Massachusetts, and he makes this statement. He says, our constitution was meant for a moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate to the governance of any other. Well, how in the world are the United States of America back then and even today meant to be a religious and moral people? And the answer is obviously God's design in the church. And we all want good government. I, I, I think most people, their motto is the, the government which governs best governs least. Uh, but Jefferson said those words in an attempt to help people understand the second part of that because people understand their role in self-governance and, and keeping themselves in line. So how do we do that? It's obviously the church. And so if we want good government and we want government to leave us alone, I think I think a lot of people out there right now, the mantra sure. is just leave us alone. Amen. So if that's the case and we want good government, well, I, I think God ordained three perfect institutions when he set up uh, governmental structures. Ultimately, first of all, he set up the family. If from the very beginning, we see Adam, Eve, their children, God ordained the family. And so good families uh, get involved in, in great churches. Great churches are what inform good government. And so if we want good government, we have to have churches involved in government. And a lot of people quote this idea of a separation of church and state. And boy, don't even get me started yeah, exactly. there because you could listen to me talk for days about <laughs> that. Misunderstanding. If, yes. if there is a wall of separation of church and state that Thomas Jefferson mentioned to the Danbury Baptist in 1801, then it's to protect the church from the state and not the state from the church. In yeah. fact, so many of our founding fathers and the framers were seminarians. They were law students, and the primary place to get a law degree back then was in a seminary because the Bible and law went together. Absolutely. So, all that to say, 
that if we want good government, if we want good legislation, if we want our values to be upheld, then we need good churches. But even more importantly, good churches are made up of great families. And so the church has to move the cultural needle. And we're going to get to this idea of abortion here in just a minute. And I don't want to jump the shark, but I will say this. One of the most important things for us to do is not only influence good legislation, because the government can only do so much, we also have to shift and change the culture at the very same time. Sure. What better institution to do that? What better or- ordinance to do that? You nailed it. Yep. The church. You've got it. Brother, I, you know, I was just thinking as you were talking here, um, I had the opportunity today, and this may be a little bit of a caveat, um, I had the opportunity to speak to uh, a deputy today, who happened to be around the property as I was coming in today. And I had a chance just to briefly talk with him to tell him, first of all, thank you for uh, his service. And he asked me about the name of the church here. And what does the name Gethsemane mean? Well, that gave me an opportunity to start to tell him about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he was made sin who knew no sin. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood for us. He took our place. And uh, this young man, he was listening, and and I told him, I said, the way that we uh, change our society is not through outward manifestation. I said it is a change of the heart. And, And Mitch, when you said we've got to have good government, and that's true, and uh, but to change the culture and to change the culture, the gospel has to get to men's primary, hearts. Primary. And, exactly, yeah. and and it's got to. And if it doesn't, um, you can try to reform all day long, and it'll work for a little while. But then it'll tend to fray, and it'll go the opposite direction. And only by the change of a heart can yeah. men can men be well, changed. When we see churches that that drop a biblical view of what sin is. And these churches are now embracing immorality that is shown to be a moral okay. It's not an evil, it's okay. And now they're embracing these political issues, defending it's fine for people to be this way and accepting their sin as being a righteous thing God made them that way, or these things are okay, it's a choice, and they remove it away from being a biblical issue, then now what happens, you don't have good churches, and you don't have good families, because you have families embracing iniquity, and churches embracing iniquity, and calling it okay, and therefore, it cannot have an impression on the government that's around us. Matter of fact, it makes it worse. It makes It's negated, it really. Sure. That's exactly what it is. Mitch? Comment on that one. Well, I, I, you, you couldn't be more correct. In fact, beautifully situated between the two uh, families and government is the church. And the church informs, it educates, it equips, and it empowers both of those. So you're, you're exactly right. If we don't have good families, then we don't have good churches. Yeah. If we don't have good churches, we don't have good government. And I love what Alexis de Tocqueville said. He, he did this survey of America early in the uh, 19th century, around the early 1800s. Correct. And he, he said this he, he, because people were questioning what made 
these 13, uh, well, it was more than 13 states. What made the United States of America such a great place? And he said this. He said, America is great because she is good. If she ever ceases to be good, then she will cease to be great. Yes, sir. Uh, morale, and, and I think we pump a little too much into morality. This is, you nailed it, Pastor. This is about faith. This is about sin and righteousness. Amen. And us as believers embracing the righteousness of Jesus Christ, wearing it every single day, Amen. not in a pretentious way, but in a humble way, understanding we've been forgiven. And just like that officer Amen. that you had the opportunity to witness to today, that's huge. That's a great opportunity for you to share the love, the light, the hope of Jesus with someone who desperately, yes, absolutely needs, needs it. it. Amen. And it was an opportunity. What a blessing it was to be able to do that. We're going to segue into our last question here. And this is probably, is, and it's not that the first two weren't difficult in the sense of things that need to be done. But, uh, Brother Mitch, we're going to segue now into this matter of the vote because, again, that the murder of innocent children has been such in the forefront of this summer uh, with the overturn of Roe v. Wade and uh, the Supreme Court handing it back to the states to do the right thing. And a few of the states have, unfortunately, here in South Carolina, um, you get down to the two-yard line and they fumble the ball and, uh, and there is no score. Um, we need to do the right thing here. I know that we're getting ready to have a vote here on the 18th of October in the South Carolina Senate. And it is basically two veins of thinking here. Uh, we're trying to understand, Brother Mitch, as far as House Bill uh, 5399, which has been on the front page of probably every every uh, newspaper here in the South Carolina and probably between here and New York City also. Uh, but this whole thing behind uh, it coming down to the crux of our Senate and voting on whether, whether or not to take what House the House uh, gave to them or changing it or failing to do anything with it, bring us up to speed kind of on where we're at with regard to what the vote uh, is going to show first of all what they're going to anticipate to show and what are what could possibly be the outcome yes sir so what and and i won't get too much into the weeds here uh what happened over the summer after the overturning of roe what was what's called our signy die resolution which is the resolution that closes out the south carolina legislative session there was a special caveat to form an ad hoc committee that would explore ending abortion in South Carolina. And so the most pro-life piece of legislation that we have ever had the opportunity to witness in the Human Life Protection Act in H5399 passed through the House. It did pass with exceptions, the exceptions clause, and, and uh, we, we call the exception clause. It's for uh, rape and incest. And in this case, it was the life of the mother as well. We did not want those exceptions in the bill, but they, it did pass the House with those. It was for uh, life of the mother, rape and incest, and fatal fetal anomaly. It went over to the Senate. The Senate then basically claimed that they didn't have the votes. They stripped the bill. They did what's known as a strike and insert. They stripped the bill. They put in the language of heartbeat 
Now, and and what's important to know here is that in 19 uh, and I'm I'm taking a parenthetical as an aside to explain something in 1974 the year after the Supreme Court made the erroneous claim of a right to privacy in 1973 in Roe the South Carolina legislature uh, codified they put into law Roe v Wade and so they they basically the exact same language of the Supreme Court is now and currently still in the South Carolina law. It's in the code. And so there are three sentences that have been in virtually every piece of pro-life legislation that we've seen in the last 20 years. And those three sentences have now been attacked. What people need to understand is currently the South Carolina fetal heartbeat law that the governor signed last February, S-1, is in in the Supreme the South Carolina State Supreme Court and by a decision of five to nothing, they chose to hold it in what's known as temporary injunctive relief, which means that the South Carolina fetal heartbeat law is not in effect currently. So if the if the moment couldn't get any heavier, that's all on the side of this. The Senate fits the heartbeat language that is currently holding it in the Supreme Court. And then they added um, the rape and incest clause up to 12 weeks. They defunded Planned Parenthood and sent it back over to the House. The House decided that wasn't strong enough, and they struck down, they turned down, they voted to non-concur or not agree with what the Senate sent back over. And so that's where we find ourselves holding out hope for October the 18th when the Senate has agreed to come back into session. And you're right, there are, there are really two options. Um, I'll, I'll give you a third, but there are really two primary options that the Senate could move on. The first one is that they could insist on their language and then designate what are known as conferees to a conference committee the only problem with that is we believe that that conference committee would be filibustered and absolutely nothing would get done to protect babies in, in, in their mother's womb here in South Carolina. And with the added pressure of the heartbeat bill currently being enjoined by the courts, we could be at the, right now, South Carolina state law is at 20 weeks for pain capable. That's, that's a, a, a shame. And the reason that's a shame is, is because South Carolina has become a resort destination for abortions because the Georgia heartbeat bill is in effect. Yes, it is. Yeah. So people are coming across the the South Carolina state line to have abortions. Since since Roe v. v. Wade's been turned since, over, we're up, what, over, over 50, 50%? Over 50%. Over, over yeah. 50%. What they were seeing were about 40 to 50 a week. Now they're seeing 60 to 70 a week in Columbia, in Charleston, in Greenville. And that's a, that's a crying shame. Literally. It sure is. So that's option number one. Option number two is a procedural move that's rarely ever used by the Senate, and it's known as a motion to recede. And not to get into the minutiae, but it takes a simple majority vote. And we know that, that the votes could be there if those conservatives who ran on a pro-life agenda and platform would vote their what they ran on sure. and agree to protect life in the womb. And, and please, 
don't buy into because there's a lot of misinformation rolling around out there right now. This is not a ban on abortion. No, this is protection from conception. This is the opportunity not to limit a woman's rights, but to protect women in the womb. Because let's play the numbers for just a second. If 50% of all the people who are born into this country are women, that means 50% of the 64 million babies that have been aborted since 1973 were women. Sure. And so this is the opportunity to protect women's rights, to preserve women's rights for generations to come. And so, yes, this is a protection of the conception. What the House bill did was protection of the conception with, unfortunately, it, the rape and incest clause is still there, up to 12 weeks, life of the mother, and those specific instances are mentioned in the bill, and then fatal fetal anomaly is there as well. So for those being told that this is a total ban on abortion, nothing could be further from the truth. And for those being told that this is a watered-down bill that is, it, is meaningless, nothing could be further from the truth. So we are calling on senators, conservative senators who ran and have stood on a pro-life platform to vote for a motion to recede. That's R-E-C-E-D-E, a motion to recede, which would in turn reinstate what the House sent them. And listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the H-5399, the Human Life Protection Act, would be on the governor's desk on October the 19th. That's huge. All summer we've been working on this. Senators have the opportunity to pass the most pro-life piece of legislation possibly in our nation's history. It's certainly the South Carolina's, South Carolina's history. By voting to recede, a motion to recede, this coming Tuesday, October the 18th, that bill could be on the governor's desk the very next day. And he has promised that he'll sign that bill. And ladies and gentlemen, you will live in one of the most pro-life states in America. Amen. What a bold testimony to share with the rest of the world, because the rest of the world is watching. What they a are. bold testimony to, to share with the rest of the world that South Carolina leads the way when it comes to the most important things like protecting life from conception in, like my eight-year-old says, in mommy's tummies all across our state. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What, what, uh, just to give clarity to, to people listening, what was the, the main problem or issue that some of our Republicans, senators that we've, that, that, that we thought would have stood with this bill that did not vote with it and want something changed? What, what are the main issues? Because there are the exceptions that that are in there um that that they should have uh, you know accepted the those exceptions so uh, kind of explain that to to me yeah what was the pushback what was the pushback from our republicans so uh, we had uh, a number of uh republicans uh those that claimed to be conservative who had considerable objections um, they mentioned things like a tension between women's rights and the rights of the unborn. They mentioned the idea of being a woman. Um, and, and I believe I, I'm going back through my mind. I believe, 
um, when it came to the most crucial votes to protect uh, life up to conception, all of our Republican women uh, in the Senate voted against that. Some of them voted for the the final bill, what we called Heartbeat 1.5. But when it came time to vote on the substance of H5399, none of the Republican women voted for that. Wow. That, so, so the considerable objection is that, as I said, what was mentioned is a tension between women's rights and and uh, the protection for the unborn. Uh, and and I have to go back. I have to revisit that and say if if we just simply split the 64 million babies that have been aborted since 1973 in our nation, half of those, 32 million of them, were women. Yeah. They were women. They're mommies. It, we just we just released an ad uh, this past Tuesday, uh, this past Monday, and it's a it's a just a video of a sonogram, and it's a little girl talking, and she says, "I could have cured cancer. I, I could have taught children. I could have even been the president, but people want to steal that away from me. Why in the world would we want to do that?" And so. To answer the question, I think there's been a lot of misinformation. There's there's been this rumor going around that even H fifty three ninety nine will be enjoined by the courts. And and let's just be very clear: if if the Supreme Court of, of the state of South Carolina creates a right to privacy and finds it in H fifty three ninety nine, the problem therein lies with the court and not with the Senate. We will have judicial activists, activists from the bench. And that's not the problem of the Senate. That's the problem of the Supreme Court. That's right. And as carefully as I can say this, we elected senators to be senators. And they have the opportunity this coming Tuesday on October the 18th to stand for life, vote for a motion to recede, and then if the if, if the powers that be, the ones, the, if, if Planned Parenthood and the Greenville Women's Clinic want to sue the Human Life Protection Act, then, then God bless them. They'll have that opportunity. And we believe that that suit, that injunctive relief, would be struck down in the courts because if we cannot create a right to privacy, and there is not a right to privacy found inside of H5399. Right. It's not there. And so for those saying, well, we can't do this because it's going to get enjoined in the court or it's going to get struck down. I, and, and once again, we elected House members to be House members. We elected senators to be senators. And they have the opportunity to stand for life. Well, and the whole thing behind the rumors is to create fear and to create smoke screens away yes. from really what the crux of the matter sure. is. And, yeah. uh, and that really is, honestly, that's really where prayer needs to be with regard to this coming Tuesday that, uh, Brother Mitch, you said it so well, that senators need to be senators and they need two things. They need to, to vote their conscience, uh, but also they need to represent their people, their constituency. Mm-hmm and listen to what their constituency is saying rather than just saying, well, you know, it doesn't matter what my, what my uh, voters say, uh, I'm going to do it my way. Uh, and, Lindsay, 
if I can speak to that really quickly, yes, sir, they go ahead. don't they don't they don't know what you believe. They don't know what you think unless they hear from you. Well, and that's right. Amen. And so we're encouraging people and, and I'm shameless plug, go to Palmetto Alliance dot org. That's Palmetto Alliance dot org on our homepage of that website. You can click the button. You can watch the video that I just talked about to see what we're talking about here. And you can click that button. It'll take you to a place where you can find out who your state senator is. Absolutely. You're not. And, and let me be clear. We're not talking about Lindsey Graham. We're not talking about Tim Scott. Those are your U.S. senators. Sure. We're talking about your state senator. Absolutely. And, and call them. Ask them. Stand courageously. The time has never been more clear. The battle lines have never been more decisive. It is now time for men and women of courage, conviction, and faith to stand for life. And the senators have the opportunity to do that in a motion to receive this Ab- coming to. Absolutely. And, uh, Brother Mitch Prosser, it, you have really, really yeah, greatly explained this thing. And, uh, and I greatly appreciate all the, the labor that you have done in putting – uh, and, and the time you took to get on here with us this morning on Wheat Among the Tares. Pastor, it couldn't have been, honestly, oh, laid out yeah, better than very, what uh, Brother well, Prosser very has, well informative. has done. Um, Pastor, as our custom is, let's let's just pray, uh, first of all, for the, our senators for next Tuesday. Uh, and if folks are listening to this podcast uh, anytime between now and next Tuesday, uh, I, I would encourage folks to please download this podcast when they get it and send it to share others. It. Share, share it. it, please uh, share it with others. Brother Mitch, we're going to pray, and we're also going to pray for you and the folks there at Palmetto yeah. Family. Yeah. Yes, let's do. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Father, thank you for my friend, uh, Mitch Prosser, and for, uh, Lord, putting him in the position that he's in and for, Lord, his fervency and a zeal uh, to be engaged in these issues to make a difference and for generations to come. And I pray for Palmetto family, God, that you'll bless them and, and their efforts and what a blessing they have been, Amen. Uh, Lord, to, to our state uh, here and uh, Lord, all that they touch and all that they're engaged with. And Lord, we pray, we pray for our senators to make the right choice, the right vote, the right decision. And I pray even now, Lord, that you are dealing with their hearts about this issue. This is a big vote on the 18th. Uh, Lord, one of the biggest things that that we'll deal with this year in the Senate as far as I'm concerned. And I pray that you'll help them, uh, Lord, vote in a righteous manner. And Father, I pray that uh, we would see this bill ultimately passed that we would have one of the strongest states uh, to stand against abortion and to protect the lives of the unborn from the destruction that so many have been destroyed with. And we pray now, Lord, that you'll do this, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Brother Mitch Prosser, amen. It's been a blessing to have you this morning. Uh, What a blessing you have been to us, and uh, we trust God blessings richly upon you. Again, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much, gentlemen. God God bless bless you, brother. Pastor, uh, what a program. And uh, certainly, uh, and it's not just for South Carolina. It's for all of our states, those that are still up in the air about what to do. I pray that South Carolina will lead the way. In the yeah. way well, in this interview was, was powerful because of being informative, giving you knowledge. 
to understand. Brother Mitch did a great job of explaining what's going on behind the scenes, what the pros and the cons are, what the bill is, why they need to make a motion to recede. Because if they don't, then you can you can mark down what's going to happen. We we will be um, inundated with people coming into the state of South Carolina and more babies being aborted. God forbid, I'm telling you. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. It's been our pleasure to bring this program to you. Please, if you would pray for, pray for us here and uh, trust that uh, GGR and the Wheat Among the Tares is a blessing to you. Have a wonderful day and share the podcast. <music>